Good morning, church. My name is Pastor Dylan. I'm the college and career pastor here at FCBC Dallas, and I'm thankful to have the privilege this morning to worship with you. I hope this past week they are able to celebrate Christmas by reflecting on our Savior's birth and really just giving thanks for God's faithfulness and His goodness. In the midst of everything that's going on this year, we just need a reminder of God's goodness. And this is exactly the time of year that we can do that. So before we continue our, our worship this morning, let's pray and ask God to prepare us just to receive his message from his word this morning. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this morning that we can sing praises to you, that we can hear from your word, which is the truth, and that we can do this with the family of God. We are united as your people through your spirit. Please help us this morning to receive your message. May it push us to become more like your son. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Can you believe it? 2020 has already come to an end. And while there's going to be many jokes and remarks about how 2020 was the longest decade ever, just like any other important time of the year, we should take this time just to reflect on where we've been and where we're going. Historically, this is, you know, around the time New Year's is coming up. We have New Year's resolutions, all that kind of stuff. We're planning ahead. We have hope, optimism, all those things that the new year brings. But before we get there, though, I think there's an often overlooked step of checking in to see how we've been and like just how we're doing right now. So at the end of 2020, days until the last uh, days of the year, I pose the question to you. How are you doing? And, you know, let's just take a step back really quick. I, I know that we ask each other this question all the time, like, hey, how's it going when we see each other? And we usually respond with something like, oh, you know, I'm good. Or, or my favorite response is like, uh, you know, I'm just hanging in there, uh, which is really just a thinly veiled way to say life is hard, but I just don't want to talk about it. Um, but when I ask right now, how are you doing? I'm not asking for the sake of asking. I'm actually asking, like, how are you doing? Really? How are you really doing? How's your relationship with God? How's your relationship with others? How's your relationship even just with yourself? Because while we don't have to be honest with the random acquaintance that we run into at the grocery store, we should be honest with ourselves. And more than ever, this is a crucial time for us. Because while everyone's celebrating and looking forward to 2021, I don't think that we can move forward if we don't at least first take a look to see where we are right now. I know this can often be a difficult thing, but I'm going to argue that it's necessary. Not only just to be looking ahead, but also aware to see how we're doing in the present moment. So again, let me ask you, how are you really doing? How are you holding up right now? Sunday, December 27th, 2020. And you know, I'm as guilty as the next person for not really answering the question of how I'm doing. I've shared it before, but the first couple of years when I was in grad school, they're super tough. I was in a new school, new job, lots of transition in my life. I just kind of ignored how all those things were impacting my life. And, you know, I did that to the point where I just couldn't do it anymore, right? The negative impacts of just being stretched too thin in school, work, my relationships, it began overflowing to every aspect of my life. And so I was finally forced to take a step back and wrestle with how I was doing. And at that point, to be honest, it wasn't great. But taking that step back and evaluating how I was doing, that allowed me to move forward in a healthier way. So this morning, I'm inviting us collectively as a church to acknowledge how we're doing in our own lives as individuals, but also just corporately as a church too. I don't know all the details of what's going on in your life, the difficulties you might be facing, even the joys that you might be celebrating. 
But you know what those things are, and God knows them too. It's only when we can acknowledge where we've been that we can move forward to where we're going. And today, we're going to realize where we're going together as a church is somewhere amazing. Because while we might be tired out and burdened by life's demands, we're going to be looking today at Jesus' invitation for us to the life with him. We're going to hear Jesus' invitation to a life that he offers us, free from those burdens that we currently face. We're going to hear Jesus' invitation to the Christian life. So our text this morning comes from Matthew eleven twenty-five to 30. Matthew chapter 11, verses 25 to 30. And we're going to be looking together at the Savior's rest. This is one of my favorite passages in scripture. One that's gotten me through a lot of tough times and one that I love to share with other people. So I'm happy to share it with you this morning. So let's read in Matthew 11, starting in verse 25. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned. You've revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. You will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is the word of the Lord. So Jesus, he, he seemingly makes it a habit of calling people little children. Right? He does it elsewhere in the Gospels and he does it here too. So what does he mean by that? Like, is it supposed to be offensive? Like, is that a bad thing to be called little children? Like calling someone immature, maybe? Given the context of the passage, it doesn't seem that way. In Jesus' classic irony, he kind of, he raises up the unexpected, which are the little children, and he brings down another unexpected group, which is the wise and learned. So what does Jesus mean by these labels? We can take a look real quick at Mark chapter 10, 14 to 15, which says, When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom like a little child will never enter it. So Jesus obviously has a pretty high view of children. But it has to be the case that he doesn't mean literal children, because that would be too bad for us who are adults now, right? So that can't really be what he means literally. Plus, in Mark 10, 15, Jesus says people need to receive the kingdom like a child. So let's think about it. What are children like? You know, other than being really expensive to care for and really uh, just being really good at getting on their parents' nerves just the right way. And to be honest, you know, I'm just talking about myself when I was a kid. That's kind of what I was like. Uh, while there are many things about children um, that we could talk about this morning, I think there's one shared characteristic that all children have, despite their background and just kind of where they're coming from, is that children are dependent. They are dependent on their parents and other caretakers for meeting their needs. Both the basic needs like food and shelter, but also more complex ones like receiving love and just learning life lessons for how to be a functioning adult. Children are in some ways just like blank slates when they're first born. They don't have these preconceived notions of how the world should or should not be. In the context of what Jesus is talking about here then, children are spiritually dependent. They acknowledge their inability to be self-reliant apart from God just because they're human and they have inherent human failings. 
Then they recognize their spiritual dependence on God. So the point here isn't on age, but on the mindset of dependence. When we recognize our spiritual need, then we're going to respond in a way that isn't about us, but about Jesus. We read that God reveals the hidden things to children, to those that recognize their spiritual dependence and turn to God. So what about you? Do you openly acknowledge your need for God? What do your actions say about your perceived need for God? Then if we continue in the passage and we talk about the other group here, which is who Jesus calls the wise and learned. These people know, or at least, you know, they think they know how the world should be. They have a leg to stand on because they're wise. They're learned. It's right in their label. If you read the preceding verses in our passage in Matthew 11, we're actually seeing that Jesus just rebuked a bunch of towns because they rejected his message, his good news. They heard that Jesus had come to proclaim that the kingdom of God was near, that they should repent and turn back to God. Yet they rejected that message. In our passage's context, then, these wise and learned people are those that have just rejected Jesus's message. They think that they know better, that they understand the world and don't need this Jesus guy. How often are we like this too? Either actively or passively, I think we do this. In an active sense, you know, we could be completely turned against God. We could be going against him in all the ways that we're living our lives. We're just trying to make it on our own. Passively, we can let our relationship with God slip and we can just fall back into old patterns where God just isn't the focus of our lives. He's there, but not really the main thing. So comparing these wise and learned to the children, the children represent people that don't hold those preconceived ideas. They don't reject Jesus and think they're better off without him. So, okay, now, now we're getting a little somewhere. We're defining some terms here. So maybe like a modern example for us of wise and learned and little children. Uh, a modern example could be the increasingly secular society that we live in. This society that continually makes appeals to science as superior to religion. Right? We've heard it before that religion is antiquated. It's for those less enlightened that need some pie in the sky to believe in. And that science, they have the cold, hard facts. Science has the truth. Well, first, even on a surface level, science is continually changing as we grow in our knowledge and understanding of the world. Right? Scientists used to think that the Earth was the center of the universe. But we've learned that that's just not the case. And for decades, people have believed in human evolution from apes. Is basically accepted as a fact in society today. If you just ask someone, obviously we evolved would be their opinion. And did you know that scientists still haven't found the so-called missing link between humans and apes? This common ancestor, they say, that ties us as humans to apes is technically still a theoretical thing. While there's evidence that points in certain directions, it's not a sure thing one way or the other. If you don't believe me, you can just look it up. And this is because science as an entire field of study is continually developing. And more importantly, if we look a little bit deeper than that too, into what science and religion are meant to do, you can see they aren't actually competing with one another, but they should rather work in harmony with each other. Some theologians and philosophers have put it this way. Science tells you what is, not what ought to be. Science can tell you the facts, you know, it can tell you what is, but it can't tell you what you should or why you should even do it. So I think science and religion, they should work together to give us a deeper and fuller understanding of God, ourselves and the world. Yet people like to pit them against each other, thinking that, you know, if they have one, they don't need the other. And this truly at, at the root is an issue of pride. 
We think that we become self-reliant. Any perceived need for outside help, that's just a weakness. It happens today and even back then in Jesus' time. Today, it might be about science. Back then, when we're reading our passage today, in the context of Jesus' statements, they're not about science and religion, but they're actually religious people going against Jesus himself. By this point in time, these Jewish leaders, you know, like the Pharisees that we read about in the Gospels, they take in what was the Old Testament law, and they added on top of it layers and layers of rules. Right? The law was given and designed by God to keep his people set apart from the rest of the nations. Yet over time, they just kept adding more restrictions, more rules, it gotten so far away from the heart of the law. It's kind of like the common perception, I think, of Christians today that we have, that we're just a group of people with a long list of do's and don'ts, right? And that we just have to follow these things and that religion is all about controlling people and all that. When in reality, if, we're, if we know the gospel and we're talking about the gospel, the truth of the gospel is God's love and having a restored relationship with our creator. When Christianity becomes about things like, I don't know, like tattoos or dancing or even politics, like who we vote for, we have strayed far away from the gospel. We have embraced this overly legalistic, controlling version of religion that was never meant to be. So which are you right now? The wise and learned who rely on their own perceived knowledge and self-reliance or the little children who recognize their spiritual dependence on God? The former puts themselves in the driver's seat. Whereas the latter recognizes that God is in control. So this brings us to our first point today, which is that our attitudes affect our response to God. Our attitudes affect our response to God. While the object of our faith is God, we can't deny the impact that the position of our heart plays in how we view him. Simply put, like, if you don't want to believe in God, then you won't. You're not going to be open to the things that God wants to do in your life. But... You know, if you recognize your own brokenness, your need, like your inability to fulfill all your desires and purpose, then you can receive God's truth. Once you can see that you just can't play God for your own life because there's just so much out of your control, then you can recognize your need for the real God. Our perceived need for God stems from our experience of self-reliance and just recognizing that we're broken people. So the question we have to ask ourselves then is our hearts or our attitudes preventing us from following God fully? What self-imposed barriers have we put up that kind of get in the way of us worshiping God? Am I trying to play God? These are questions we have to ask ourselves. And Jesus continues by painting the picture of the relationship that he has as the son with God the father. He says in eleven twenty-seven, all things have been committed to me by my father. No one knows the son except the father. And no one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Jesus depicts this really close relationship between himself and God the Father. The idea here, it extends far beyond just knowing each other, right? Kind of like an initial reading of the passage would suggest. Rather, the picture here is one of the deepest relationships imaginable, right? This isn't just how you might know that acquaintance at work that you just see and never talk to. I mean, that neighbor that you wave at every morning, but you don't even know what their name is. This isn't even talking about like a good friend that actually knows you. You can imagine your closest friendship, the person that knows you for your whole self, good, bad, ugly, everything. Yet they love you and accept you anyways. Maybe that's your best friend, your spouse, one of your siblings. It's like that level of depth 
but even deeper, because this is between God the Father and Jesus the Son. The relationship has depth beyond words. That's probably not surprising, because Jesus is God himself, after all. So, you know, what should come as a shock, though, when we're reading this, is that Jesus says we can know the Father like this, too. Jesus invites us to participate in this close relationship. We don't only have to hear about it and just be like, oh, that's great, Jesus, you, you know God, the Father, really well, but what about me? But Jesus actually invites us to fully participate in our own relationship with God, the Father. And this should fill us with awe and wonder that the creator of the universe, God above all gods, would tolerate a relationship with a sinful and broken humanity. And he not only tolerates it, he actually welcomes it and he accomplishes it. That's why Jesus came in the first place, to restore our broken relationship with God, to redeem his fallen creation, to be our savior. That's what makes Christianity different, that our God doesn't hold us at arm's length, but fully embraces us and welcomes us in. The Christmas message that we just celebrated is God himself, Jesus. He came down to be with us. Now requiring us to come up to him on his level, but coming down to us himself. God continually expresses his faithfulness and love to us. Nothing shows that more than the intimate relationship that he is inviting us into, because we can know God the Father like this too. And skeptical readers might hear all this, you know, all these promises and all that, and they'd be, they might ask like, hey, what's, what's the catch? There's got to be a catch to this, right? And actually, you know, there is one. I'll be honest. And perhaps it's not exactly the catch we would expect, but there is a stipulation for Christianity. But the stipulation isn't that we have to act or behave in a certain way or we get thrown out. Because honestly, we've already failed at that. We are sinful, broken people. The stipulation of Christianity is that our faith is focused on and made complete in the person of Jesus alone. No other gods, nothing you or I can do. Know in the verse that the Father is only known through the Son. This brings us to our second point this morning, which is the path to God is through Jesus alone. On one hand, Christianity is kind of an exclusive faith, only available through Jesus Christ. But on the other hand, it's for all because this invitation is open to everybody. But people have to accept it. The invitation is cast wide, yet only some people will respond. How about you? How are you responding to Jesus? What prevents you from fully diving into your faith? Because you see, it all builds together. Our first point showed that our attitude toward God and ourselves, right, affects our openness to God. And if we recognize our spiritual dependence, then that is meant by Jesus. This finally brings us to the concluding verses of our passage today. Jesus' ultimate invitation to us, the promise of comfort and rest to those of us who are burdened. Let's be honest, that's all of us today in some way or another. So let's bring it back to how we started this morning when we did that little self-check-in and asked ourselves, how am I really doing this morning? Think on the things that came to mind in this season. And you got stress at home, work, school. You got anxiety around this pandemic. Maybe your relationships are becoming more and more strained just because of isolation. Or maybe your faith in God is on shaky ground because you know, you've been praying and asking is seemingly not receiving an answer from him. Take whatever it is that's weighing on your heart and listen to these next words from Jesus in verse 28. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. 
for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is Jesus, our Savior. The religious leaders of that day, they wanted to add restrictions and rules, all this unnecessary burden on the people of God. Even today, if we worshiped in person, you know, if someone came and they weren't dressed in the right way, they didn't act in the right way, they would just give these weird looks, right? We automatically place these human expectations on each other. And God is just saying, stop doing that. You know, so whatever it is that burdens us, whether that's human-based religious rules, even just like society's expectations to pursue this American dream of making money, being successful, whatever that means. Um, these are all burdens that Jesus seeks to relieve us of. So let's break down his invitation here a little bit. First, look where he points us to in this invitation. He says, come to me. That is, this promised rest is found in the person of Jesus. I think too often we get caught up on Jesus' teachings, his miraculous acts, all these things that he does in the Bible, thinking that that is the point. But those merely existed to point people back to Jesus. Even all the innovations that we have in our worship today, the lights, the technology, the backdrop, the music, those are all a means to an end. If we aren't worshiping Jesus through those things, then we can just get rid of them because they're being distractions. When we consider our Christian faith, are we drawn in by Jesus or some secondary consequence of who Jesus is? Maybe we come to church for the community. We love serving in this particular ministry. We like doing this kind of outreach. Maybe we even just like playing badminton. Yeah, I said it. Uh, the fellowship and service we get to participate in, those are all really great things. But those aren't the end goal. The end goal is and always has been Jesus Christ himself. And drawing near to Jesus, that should be all the motivation we need, because that's where we find our rest. Not in the next church trend, not in our next promotion at work, our next vacation after this pandemic is over. Because with all of those things, there's always going to be a next that we strive for. Because ultimately, that's not what we need. It's not what we're looking for. But when we come to Jesus, our Lord and Savior, that is the rest that we long for. What So the question we have is like, what next thing have you been striving for instead of coming to Jesus? Jesus invites you to give that up to him now. And if we continue this passage, he invites us to take his yoke upon us. Now, if you're not familiar, this is an agricultural term, kind of like this farming tool used for animals. right? It's used to guide the oxen on the farm. Or maybe you might be familiar with a similar thing that people would use to carry stuff. Uh, either way, a yoke symbolizes some type of work or labor. And this is pretty key to understanding our passage today. Because Jesus' invitation isn't just for some carefree life where we have no responsibilities. We're just up in heaven floating on a cloud, right? Uh, Christians do a disservice when we present the gospel message this way. When we depict the Christian life as just one of ease. Because clearly in this passage, Jesus is inviting people to work not to kick back and relax. And you might be confused. I just told you that all the work you're doing in your job, at school, you know, at home, all this stuff is a burden and Jesus is relieving you of that burden, right? In some ways, yes. But this is where the descriptor in verse 30 is key because Jesus offers this description. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The word translated here as easy doesn't quite offer the holistic picture. What Jesus means by easy is more literally understood as good, or maybe kind of conveying the idea of revival or even rest. So what Jesus is inviting us into then is still work, 
And this work isn't easy in the sense of difficulty, but it's in the sense of fulfilling our purpose. This is what discipleship means in Jesus. It's work, but it is good work. Because Jesus is God, right? And God is our creator. So it's reasonable that God knows what we were designed to do. So if we look even back in the Garden of Eden in the beginning of the Bible in Genesis, Adam and Eve, they weren't just partying with the animals 24-7. No, they had work to do in the garden. Genesis 2.15 says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. Even in Eden, there was work to do. This might be counterintuitive a little bit, but throughout the Bible, we see that work is good. We as humans, we're actually designed to do work. But our pitfall is that we've been trying to do work for the wrong reasons. And that's the source of our burdens. Not the work itself, but when we don't understand what this work is for. Now, I'll admit to you all that me, I'm a pretty lazy person. I like the path of least resistance nine times out of ten. You know, when I was a student, summer break was the best because I didn't have to study. I didn't have to do homework. I didn't have to do anything. Uh, but if I'm being honest now, summer break is kind of long. While my younger self would never thought that I would say this, um, the truth is that I can only play video games and watch TV for so long before I get bored. Hopefully, you know, you probably experience the same thing. You know, breaks and vacations are great. They're welcomed and needed. But if you suddenly had a year off from work, I guarantee that eventually you would want to find something to do. And there are two sides to the coin for how we can interpret this. One is a result of sin and brokenness. Where some people, honestly, they're just workaholics. They find their identity in making the most money, having the most career advancement, getting their promotions, all that stuff. But the other side of the coin is that we were designed for work. But that our primary identity is not supposed to be found in this work. Sin doesn't just make this entirely new and terrible thing, right? Just being a workaholic or something. Instead, it takes something meant for good, like work and productivity, and it twists it just enough that the trajectory is changed. And now instead of finding our fulfillment in God, we're trying to find it in ourselves, other people, money, power, all those things. So the rest that Jesus invites us into isn't just sleeping all day, every day, like some like heavenly midday nap or something, but rather to find our identity in him. Then as an outflow of that, we can receive fulfillment in the work that we're doing. A really great example of this is just at our church, when people can use their skills that they have at work to serve the church. This year, our church created a technology committee. And on that, we have developers, IT professionals, and other people like that serving on this committee. They're using all their expertise in all things technology to help support the church. And as an employee of the church, I'll say I'm super grateful for these people because they're serving in a way that's far outside of my own expertise. Work, then, isn't a bad thing. Your job, whatever it is, it doesn't inherently have to be bad. It allows you first, you know, to interact with non-Christians and build those relationships. It lets you develop your own skills in your field to do good work. Then even you can bring some of those skills and serve the church. So work can be good when we don't find our identity in it, but instead root our identity in Jesus himself. If work rules our life, then Jesus doesn't. But if Jesus rules our life, then he can use our work for his good purposes. This is why his yoke is good and his burden is light. When we are guided and directed by Jesus, not our human desire for success, then the burden is lifted off our shoulders. We can simply do the work without the additional stressors adding a burden to our shoulders. 
And this brings us to our final point today, which is to enter into the Savior's rest. Enter into the Savior's rest. I started asking you with the question, like, what's burdening you right now? Well, Jesus is inviting you to put off that burden and instead take on his. Um, because ultimately what Jesus is inviting us into is our ultimate fulfillment, having our purpose fulfilled. We're known and loved by Jesus, like children loved by their parents. This isn't something that we earned or even necessarily deserve. Yet Jesus loves us enough to come down to earth and be with us, take our penalty for sin on the cross, and he demonstrates his power when he resurrects again. When our worth and identity, they're based on something we didn't and couldn't earn, which is God's love for us, everything changes. No longer are we bound by the burdens of this world, but we're made free in Christ. So consider Jesus' invitation to enter into his rest and simply accept it. So let's review a little bit some of the things that we covered today. Because they all work together, they all build off one another, right? So firstly, our attitudes affects our response to God. If we don't recognize our spiritual dependency on God, then we limit the transformation he can do in our lives. If we were playing God, then the real God isn't in that place for us. Secondly, the path to God is through Jesus alone. Once we recognize our need for God, we must also understand that faith in Jesus alone is the way to truth and to God. Finally, enter into the Savior's rest. Once we recognize our need and believe that Jesus is the only way to God, then we can accept his invitation to the life he is calling us to. One where our identity is rooted in his love for us. One where there is work, but is good and fulfilling work. So church, when we look ahead to 2021, are we going to take on the yoke of Jesus? Or are we going to continue to submit ourselves to the whims of this world? Are we going to continue to pursue the never-ending goals of money, power, and success, trying to find worth and love and other broken people? When the reality is that God has already expressed his ultimate and perfect love to us through Jesus. Take stock of where you're at right now so that you can know what to take and give to Jesus. So let's pray together this morning. Father, we thank you for your good and perfect love that you invite us into a deep and intimate relationship with you through Jesus. Help us to see that you have a purpose and a plan for our lives, one filled with your love and care, where you have plans beyond all of our expectations. Show us the work that you want us to do, the work of building your kingdom, the work of becoming the people you've designed us to be. Help us to meditate on your invitation to us just as we're entering into a new year. When it's hard to give up all these things we've been striving for for all so, so long, remind us of this invitation from your son. Remind us of your love for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us um, this year and this whole experience of online uh, ministry, service, and all that stuff. Um, we are looking forward to 2021, and uh, we'll see what God has in store for us. But as always, we're together as a church. As always, we're still the family of God. And whatever 2021 brings, we know God's truth is constant. So we'll see you next week in the new year.